Okay. So, um, I happen to think that this is a very... Parshas Kitisa is famous for the Chet Ha'egel. Notorious. Right? Notorious, some would say infamous <laughs> for the Chet Do you have a, a sheet? Do you have a sheet? Oh. Um, so, uh, but... We're not going to talk about that today. Um, I want to talk about the very, very beginning of the Parsha, which is well-known, but I think sometimes underappreciated. Because uh, I think it's actually, well, whatever, you'll see why I think it's so awesome. Um, it's awesome and scary and whatever all at the same time, but it's, a, it's, 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 I think, very profound. So let's just start from the beginning. Hashem el Moshe So Hashem said to Moshe the following, When you... Decide to count the Jewish people, lifkudehem to know their number. Vinasnu ish kofar nafshol Hashem bifkodosam vloyebehem negef bifkodosam. So what would each person do? Each person will give their kofar nafshol. That's kofar nafshol. The redemption of their soul to Hashem bifkodosam when you count them. And, then, and there, by doing that, you'll make sure there won't be a negef plague, like magefa. There won't be a plague when you count them. Okay, interesting. Zay knew this is what you should give. Fine. So what are you going to do? You're going to give every time you count. You're going to give this half shekel, and uh, a half shekel is worth twenty geira, if that means anything to anybody. Um, and that's what they're going to do. That'll be the, that, what they give to Hashem. Great. Cool. Interesting. Right? Very kind of strange. Like, what is this all about? First of all, Hashem says, I'll, I'll let you guys ask, but I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of problems with this. You know, or questions that could emerge from this conversation. Okay. Why, like, why are we counting? Why, again, yeah, start from the beginning. Why are we counting? Why are we counting? What are, why are, why do we have to ransom our soul? What if ransom your soul? Why, why would there, there be a plague? Why would there be a plague? What is this? What is this about? about is, everything about is weird. Right. We read this all the time. We're gonna read it again. We have a special parsha called Parsha Shkalim where we read these these. Programs. It's like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. Shkalim, yeah, yeah, half a shekel. What, is, what are you talking about? Why are we counting? Kitisa, is it only if you decide? I did God command them to be counted? It's if you feel like counting? Are we allowed oh, to feel like United counting? States, that's the census right. once in ah, years. Good. So, so like, is that because we like the United States? We're just going to do a census every whatever because we just count to know how many people we are? Like, what are we, what are we talking about? And why do I have to redeem my soul when I do it? And why is it if I don't give something when I do that, then I'm going to, there's going to be a magefa? And why, right? There's, there's so many things about this that are strange. And we, we uh, you know, the machasis hashekel is something that I think a lot of, you know, you know, certainly if someone went to like the yeshiva, so they, they know machasis hashekel, you heard that before, right? But like, what is this about? It's very weird. It's very confusing what this is, what's going on here. Fine. So that's A, okay? But um, if you want to talk about magefa, so we can have an understanding of why the Torah is concerned about magefa. Because of a story that takes place in Shmuel Bet, source number two. Source number two is a story in Shmuel Bet. And David already is the king. And, uh, and we won't, we won't like, go to all the details here. But basically, 
Vayosef Hashem, Af Hashem, Lacharos be Yisrael, Vayasis has David Bahemle, more Lech Menei Es Yisrael, Ves Yudah. David decides that he wants to count the Jewish people. Okay? Vayomer HaMelech HaYoav. And the king says to Yoav, Sar HaChayil, Asher Yito, Shut Na Bechol Shivtei Yisrael Midan Vad Be'er Sheva, Ufakdu Et Ha'am, Vyadati Es Mispar'am. Count the people, I want to know how many they are. Vayomer Yoav Ela Melech. And Yoav says back to the king, God, you know, Hashem, can you make us be this many or that many, whatever? Why, why do you care how many people they are? Why are you doing this? He said, no. He was very adamant that they do it. Yoav's like, are you sure? This doesn't sound like a good idea. David says, no, I want to do it. And he does it when it happens. So he goes around to all, all over Eretz Yisrael and counts all the Jewish people. And then what happens? There were 800,000, uh, you know, uh, warriors. Right? And the people of Yehuda, uh, 500. And now David, you know, all of a sudden he starts to feel bad. What he did. Sharasisi. Right? He says, Oh shoot, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have counted the people. Viata Hashem. Avon I made a big mistake. I'm really sorry. Forgive me. So David already knows that it was wrong. You're not supposed to do this. Right? This is something he's not supposed to do. And he has an awareness that this is wrong. And he like it's almost like he wakes up from this trance and realizes like, oh gosh, this is the wrong thing to do. So God and Navi shows up to visit. David Melch. David had one of these experiences already once. Right? After, the, after he sins with Bathsheba, Nasan Hanavi shows up and just gives a whole explanation of the bad things that he did, etc. So this is the second time. And God Hanavi comes to him. Haloch vidibarte al David ko amar Hashem shalosh anochi no telalecha becharlacha achas mehem beeselacha. Basically says to him, you made a mistake. I, there are three options for punishment for what you did. Choose one. This is not a story that people really talk about so much, right? Do you want three, seven years of famine? Three months of having to fight wars against your enemies? Or three days of plague. What should I say back to Hashem? And David basically chooses three days of plague and... Uh, 70,000 people die. Why? Because David counted the people. So, if you want to know why the Torah says, Lo negef because that actually happens eventually. Right? That counting the people leads to a, a, a magifa, literally. Okay? It's very positive. Sure, so far, right? Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Why, you mean it's like an eye in heart? Mm. Okay. Great question. So, the question is, why? What's so bad about counting the Jewish people? Why is this like some the terrible... Like 70,000 people. To you. Like that was why they were counted on Harsina. You want to ah. count what's precious to you. Right. Think, so why some, is it all of a sudden... Right. Meaning counting isn't always bad. Right? No. Hashem... By the way, there are other countings in the Torah. In, 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 Parshas, in Sefer Bamidbar begins, again, with Hashem counts the Jewish people. And part of the, one of the things that the Chazal say, yeah, Hashem ought to count us and know how many we are, to show, show how much He cares about us. Even, by the way, Kitisa, the language is Seues like, Rosh, I make each person feel that they matter. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I, I thought counting is maybe a good thing. It makes people feel good. It makes people feel that they matter. So like, 
what is the big deal with counting? And this is a big deal, apparently. 70,000 people died in Magifa. This is a pretty serious thing. So, like, what is going on here? Okay. So, let's take a look at some of the Rishonim. Different approaches, or similar approaches, to what the problem is with counting. Look at Rashi in source number three. So, Rashi in source number three says, Kitisa, Lashon Kabbalah. Ketargubal, meaning we're gonna, you're going to take something. Ketargubal, kishetachpotz lekabel schum minyanam, ladas kamahem. If you want to know how many people they are, right? When you want to know how many they are, what should you do? Al timnem legulgolet, don't just count their number. Ela yitnu kol echad machatzit ha-shekel, v'timna es ha-shkalim, v'tedam minyanam. So Rashi says, something that we all know now, right? It happens in this room all the time. You come here from Arif at 9.15. You want to know how many we are, so what do we do? Yeah, we don't do, you don't say, what, you don't do it. And like, you don't do that. Uh, you don't go, one, two, people don't do that, right? We, we're gonna, maybe we'll see why we use that puzzle, if we can have a chance, right? You don't count people, you count numbers, you count, we're going to see other things also, right? So in this case, what do we do? The Torah says you count the chati shekel, which by the way wasn't a half thing, it was a, it was, a, it was a coin that was worth a half a shekel, right? So you count that, you won't count the people, you have them each give a half shekel, and you count the shekelah. When you see how many shkalim there are, you'll know how many people there are. It's like, what? So, I'm gonna, what's the difference? Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. But, this also but, doesn't say why. This is just saying how. <laughs> this is just how. Right? Like ah. <laughs> what did you say? Sounds like a scam to get money. Yeah, it's like so Jewish. No, no. It's a If you don't get, if everyone doesn't get $5,000, oh, no problem. Right? You'll get, right. Good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Um, good. Uh, next Rashi. Vlo negef. And you do so, there won't be a negef. won't be a magefa. Why? Says Rashi. Shaminyan sholeit bo ayin hara. Vadavar baralehem. Kamashamatsini bin meidavid. Because counting brings the ayin hara. What does that mean? Counting brings ayin hara? What does that mean? That's what my Bubby always said. Yeah, your Bubby always said that, right? She did. Don't, don't ask me how old I have. Don't ask me how many grandchildren I have, right? You got it. You don't count. We don't count. How many grandchildren I have? I don't say. We don't count how many. We don't have many. We don't count how many. Why not? What is that? So that's the backup. What does Ayn Har mean? Evil Right, good. So what does that mean? You. <laughs> you actually had a conversation with my mom about three months ago. Like, we talk about the I. <laughs> so, what does that mean? So, what, is, what do you mean when we say Ein Hara? When we say Ein Hara, what we mean is typically, and there's different ways to understand it, but typically we should give a share just on Ein Hara. But when we talk about Ein, maybe we did at one point, I don't know. But when we, when we talk about Ein Hara, what we mean is that when a person um, right, shows things about themselves that are Ostentatious. Special and great. And so people go, hey, look at me. Yeah. So what are people going to do? People, it makes people look at you, right? Yeah. And they say, oh, do you really deserve that? You're really better than me. You're really this. You're really that, right? Ein Hara is the sense that people look at us and they go, hmm, really? And maybe not just people, maybe. But like that, the, the sense of when I, when I put myself out there to, to, to look at, right? People start to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Right? Because all of a sudden, really? Do you really? Is that? How'd that, get, how'd that happen? What, 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 what is that really more deserving than that person? Right? It, it, it creates that, that sense. It's a great story. A guy once came into, uh, a guy once came into, um, Chaim Kanievsky, and he said, 
he said, you know, I'm, uh, I'm uh, building a new, new house or something, and I'm nervous about Ein Hara. People are going to see my house, they're going to give me an Ein Hara. So he said, Rav Chaim said to him, he said, Do you, uh, did you like, learn all of Shas? He said, no. He said, you learned a lot of Masechtas? He said, no. He said, so you, you learn a few hours a day at least? He said, no. He goes, so don't worry, no one's, no one's interested. No, 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 no one thinks you're special, don't worry about it. They live in Pnei Brach, that's what they know. <laughs> so, no, don't worry about Ein Hara, your house, they don't care. You know, but, uh, but, um, but, uh, right, but, but the, the idea of Ein Hara, meaning when you, when you pull out individuals from a group, right, we're going to see this form, I'm going to say this also, right, it causes people to start to pay attention to the individual. Right? What is the scariest thing about Rosh Hashanah? We say on Rosh Hashanah, when it happens, every person goes with Fnei Hashem ki b'nei maron. Every person goes in front of Hashem one by one. There's nothing worse than to be seen one at a time. Right? To be looked at by ourselves. So what do we do on Rosh Hashanah? What's our goal during the Yom Narayim? We make ourselves part of the group. Right? We do things for, for other people. One of the greatest, whatever you want to call it, zuchuyos for, for Yom Narayim is to be a person who's part of the tzibor. Right, because you make yourself part of the tzibor, then you don't have to, you, you're not going to stand out. You're going to be a person who's needed by everybody. Oh, needed by everybody, so we're not going to single you out. Because once you get singled out, so that's like the scariest thing. Do I, do I really deserve, right? To be, do I life? Do I deserve whatever good things I want, etc.? The more we're singled out, the more there's the opportunity for the, the eye to be looking at us. It doesn't it means like this, like, you know, creepy, weird eye that's looking at us. Well, you have but, that eye... So that when the eye looks at you, it makes eye contact with that eye <laughs> and at you. Okay. Oh, that, oh, that's the chaf? Oh, that's the chaf? Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, so I'm not, yeah, yeah, whatever. Because then it, look, it looks at the eye and it doesn't see, <laughs> see you. Does that work? It's like a mirror? Like a <laughs> I guess that's the chaf. But that's, what, that's the idea of an ayin hara. That's the idea of ayin hara. Right? So when I, so, shaminyan sholeit bo ayin hara. Whenever you count, one, two, three, four, five, I'm not counting you. Right? When you count, so that makes, that, that creates ayin hara because it allows you to be singled out. Okay, look at the Rashbam. Uh, so, so by the way, so what do we do instead? We count shkalim. Because the shekel is all the same. And it's not reflective of any particular person. It doesn't have your name on it. Right? You just check. I just want to know the total number. I don't know you. Right, so then it, by counting the shkalim, even though you think it just sounds like a, it's just a, a workaround, it makes a difference because again, you're not being singled out. Mm-hmm. Fine. It's a small amount too. It's also a small amount. Good. Yes. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Just to interrupt. No, interrupt yeah. So what you're saying about the evil eye is that the evil eye is the evil look that of of the eyes of. Others. That's one way that people look at talk about That's it. Yeah. How, okay. Like a negative. Like we didn't. I don't, I wanted to just like say that. It's the way that others look at us, right? Okay. With an eye in hara. We should have an eye in tova on others yeah, also. We shouldn't have an eye in hara on others, but. Yes, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it, by the way, but clearly is not just the way others look at us, it could also be like Hashem. Yeah. And in a certain sense, that, that Ayin Hara, whatever that means, like Hashem's not in control of Ayin, what does that mean? But like, you know, that, that, that Klape Shamayim, yeah. when we are singled out, so that's like scary. We don't want to be, we don't want to be on our own. We want to be part of the group. Right. Uh, the Rashbam says something similar. Okay, so the Rashbam gives us a reason. What's the reason for Kiti? So what is this about? It's not randomly getting us together to count us. It's we have to build the Mishkan, right? And not just that, actually. Every year, why do we have Parsha Shkalim, which we read Kitisa? Because every year they would actually give the Chati Shekel in order to, what? It's a building fund. It was a tax, yeah, it was a tax. Exactly, it's a building fund to make sure you have the right, enough money for Korbanos, etc. Every year they would give, they would give the Chati Shekel. It wasn't just a way of counting them. It was a way of, Having enough money to, for the Mishkan to run. 
Uh, and when you would do that, Minan, you would count them. And by the way, when you would count them, what would you do? You'd now, now you know how many Jews there were. Okay, so you wouldn't know the people who didn't decide not to give, I guess. Right? Okay, good. V'zeh kesef nitan la'avodas ha'mishkan. Right? They would use the chachi shekels, they use them for exactly for this purpose. Fine. So that just that answers our question as to what the purpose is. Why am I counting them? Why am I counting the people? The answer is I'm not really counting the people, at least according to this. I'm counting them because I need them to donate to the Mishkan. Fine. But it works both ways. It, it kind of kills two birds with one stone. I anyways want to count the people, and I anyways need the money for the Mishkan. So have them give the money, and then I'll know how many people we have. Okay. Fine. Look at the Svorno. Svorno writes, V'nasnu ish kofer nafshal, because the language is very, right, specific. You're giving a redemption for your soul. Ki hechrech haminyin bi'ishe ha'adam, hu mitzad ha'ishtanut ha'korei bi'ishav, mehavaya ve'hefseid. V'zeh b'sibar chata'am. Let's see if I can translate what this really means. That the, the need to count people, right, when it comes to like even korbanos that, that a person brings, right? It becomes, because people are, you know, you know uh, doing better, they're doing worse, and they, and they mess up, right? When they're making more money, they're making less, less money, ka'amram, ein misa balochit, right? There's no person who doesn't, who dies without having done some type of sin. Every person does some type of a virus in their life. Every person messes up. We all misstep. Uvechein kominyan hu maskir avon. So because every person messes up sometimes, there's, there's no such thing as a person who doesn't do a nevera, right? There's only a few people in the, in the history of the world, the Gemara says, who died without uh, sinning. Every person sins. We all mess up. It's, that's normal. That's to be a human being. But the point is that every person has some things that we've done wrong. And what happens? Whenever you count, what does it do? It's mazkir avon, right? It, it, it brings up. It's sort of, it's, again, this is rather than saying ayin hara. Ayin hara is like the heebie-jeebie way of saying it. This is sort of the more regular, like, relationship with Hashem, about this Hashem message, which is like, when Hashem notices us one at a time, what does He notice? How we're doing. When God meets up with us, He wants, you know, how'd it go this year? Right? That's scary. That's, what, that, what's, what does that mean? He's going to ask us, what does Hashem care about? He cares about if we're doing mitzvahs and averos. That's, that's what matters to Him. Right? So when every time you count the Jewish people, certainly for Hashem, so it, it brings up the things that we're messing up on. So, what, so like, as we're getting counted, what do we do? We give something to the Beis Amidash. Why? Sort of like do something positive, right? Give a gift to Hashem while he's noticing our faults, right? Sort of a way of like, I don't know, pay, you're not really paying him off. I don't think God knows. You know what I mean? No, but it's but an opportunity to look good. I have to look good. Like, and um, what, what would be a more, but what would be another way to say it, by the way? Then saying the opportunity to look good. Actually doing good. Right, you're actually going to do good. Right, meaning, sure could, <laughs> like, meaning, meaning it's not just like we're paying him off. It's that, shoot, like you're right. I'm going to come in front of Hashem and, and he's going to notice things about me that are not so great. Well, so that's like kapara, so, which is the language. Sounds like tshuva. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a tshuva process. Mm-hmm. What's a tshuva process? You come in front of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Rosh Hashanah time. Shoot, now he knows all the things that I do wrong, etc. And, and that's going to make me nervous, right? Um, so what's a normal thing to do? Show them that I'm going to do better. That's okay. That's not like, that's not cheating. That's, if you don't do that, then you really don't get the message, right? You decide to kind of shape up a little bit. And that the reason for giving the, 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 is sort of that like, sort of like a tshuva, right? And that's why it's called kofar nafsho, right? It's, a, it's, it's kapara. And that's what kapara is. It's a way of, of improving ourselves, right? Right? So that's what the language of kitisa is a language of 
lechaper nafshot teichem, that there's a sense of Hashem is noticing me, and therefore I should probably be working on myself. And what's the best way to work on myself? To give of myself. Right? And do good, not just look good. To not just look good, but to do good. Right? To do something meaningful, to do something positive, to give tzedakah. Yeah, I want to show you, while we're just there, I want to show you something really I had never seen before. I saw it today. Take a look at source number 11. Bottom of source number 11. L'chaper anafshotechem. It's from every Silvajic. Not that I ever thought I knew all the words from every Silvajic, but I thought this was really cool. He writes the following. See where I am? Yeah, the third paragraph. Everyone with me? Yeah. Sin is a result of selfishness. When temptation overrules sacred principles, one abandons tradition because of the pleasure one expects to derive from the performance of the forbidden deed. Right. So I, I, I mess up when I want something. Right. There's something that I want that I am not supposed to have, but I want it. So I either steal or I whatever, whatever it is. And it's usually not so obvious, right? But I do something that I not supposed to do. Because it's something that I enjoy, and I think it, you know, so and I and it over and it's my desire to do whatever it is that I enjoy, instead of the principle that I know is correct, right? That's what it means to to mess up, to do it, to do it a vera. Tzedakah, in contrast, demonstrates sympathy, compassion, and sharing with others. For this reason, forgiveness for sin can only be attained through tzedakah. Tzedakah also acts as ransom. In order to redeem himself, the sinner must pay a ransom. The Torah therefore describes the half-shekel offering as a redemption payment for the soul. But the point being that tzedakah is the opposite of sin. Sin is, by definition, selfishness. Sin is to say, Avera is, I do what is good for me, even if it violates a principle that I believe in. Right? And therefore, tzedakah is the opposite of Tzedakah tatzel mimaves, the Gemara says. Right? That we, that we, we, tshuva tfilah tzedakah ma'avrinah. Why? Tzedakah is nice. Why? Because people like money? No, but the answer is that tzedakah is the, it's the opposite midah. It's giving of myself to somebody else. And that's the, it, it's the ultimate tikkun for chit, which is, which is the most selfish act in general. Which I think it's very interesting. Yeah, Fine. It's, it's cool, right? Yeah. Fine. I never thought, I never understood that ever. Why tzedakah plays such a foundational role in kapara? And the answer is because because tzedakah is the ultimate selflessness and avera is the ultimate selfishness. It's very interesting. Fine. But anyways, that, exp- that, that explains a little bit why you'd use money. It, we don't know why here yet necessarily, right? Yeah. But there is... Are yeah. we also answering the question of why are we being counted now? Ah, good. Because why would you maybe... Why would this make sense now? Figuring out how big the Meshkan needs to be? So it would make, oh, that's in, yeah, that's interesting. But it, it is needed for the, we are building the Mishkan. That is true. Yeah. There's something else though that's about to happen. You have to be, a, right. yeah, so you have to be, you have to be willing to say, a muktam muhar batorah, right, that this actually happens after chayta mm-hmm. egel, in which case, makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. right? The, the people engaged in the most right, selfish act of, holy cow, where's, where's Moshe? We're freaking out. We need comfort. We need something for ourselves. And therefore, they actually give. Right? But they give up of their money in order to get a, an egel, which is the, the most egregious thing they could have done. And what's the tikkun? The tikkun is give again. But now give the way I tell you to give mm-hmm. and give the same as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and do so in a way that shows that, you know what? I made a mistake here. 
right? And the and the the kapara on after makes a lot of sense. The medrash actually says it's like when a wolf attacks because what happens after chet egel? So like three thousand, you know, there's a whole bunch of Jews that get killed after chet egel. About three thousand of them get killed. So by fellow Jews who levim go out and they kill the, the, the Jews who involved the chet egel. So. Um, so at that moment, the Hashem wants it. So the Medrash says it's like a, it's like a, when a wolf gets into a, you know, it, it, yeah, yeah, into the, the sheep, and the owner now goes to check how many sheep are left. So Hashem counts us here to like count the Jews again. Okay, let's see how many are left. I got gotcha. you. Let's go. We're gonna go. We're gonna move on together. Right? But that, that would explain very much why there's the Chaper Nashot Echem specifically over here also. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Um, fine. Um, the Rabbeinu B'chai has a similar idea in terms of this idea of the, like, when, when we choose to separate ourselves, so now our blemishes are seen much more, right? The same idea that, like, when we, when we separate out, so then we're, whether it's Ayin Hara, whether it's Avera, whatever it's going to be, it, it reveals that sense of, of you know, um, aloneness and being judged by Hashem, and that's a very scary thing. So, but to just take a look. Uh, so, so one of the questions that gets asked is the following. So, David Melech, right? So, like, how did he mess that up? How did he not know this? This is bad, right? Counting people is bad. You're not supposed to do that. You have to always use a half shekel. So, David Melech wants to know how many people there are. So, what should he have done? Ask for a half shekel. Yeah, yeah ask for a half shekel. Yeah. What? What? Why did he do that? So, there are a few answers given by the Bishonim. Actually, the Ramban says that he did. The Ramban, I didn't, I didn't bring the Ramban. The Ramban says that he did do that. He did actually ask them for a half shekel, but it didn't matter. Why? Because this count was not for a purpose. It was just to see how big my nation is. And that the, the half shekel only works when there's the right intention. Right? And he went and had to count. Why, Hashem asked you to count. I want to, know how, I want to know how many there are to go to battle. There's that, by Midbar, presumably the reason why Hashem counts this is because we're going, to, we're going into Eretz Yisrael. You want to know how many people there are to, to go fight you know, to, to win the battles in, in Eretz Yisrael. So the, when there's a reason to count, so then you use the half shekel. The Ramban says, but if there's no reason to count, even if you use the half shekel, it's not going to help. Why? Because you never count the Jewish people just to know how big we are. We're going to see Rabbi Sachs in a second. He's going to talk about this also. Um, the the Malbim says he didn't use it. But why didn't he use it? It was a little confusing. You look at source number seven, part, uh, Sefer by Midbar, Parshas by Midbar, where again you have a count of the Jewish people. By the Hashem, Hashem, Moed, Again, we're now in the second year. They're getting ready to go. And I'll tell you one thing that never appears anywhere in this context is the half shekel. It's not there. So some say, because we told that, we taught you that already. In Kitisa, we taught you to use a half shekel, and that's why he didn't say it again. Others say, no, because you don't always have to use a half shekel. It was only in cases where only, you know, uh, Hashem asked for a count, then there's not going to be, the half shekel was for the Mishkan, but any other time Hashem asked for a count is fine. But when David asked for a count, sorry, that wasn't your bonus. Hashem didn't ask for it, and that's going to lead to, to, to a Magiv. Fine. But the danger of the count, by the way, is, is emphasized by, by Chazal in a practical way. Um, if you look at source number eight, we won't read the whole Gemara right now, but the bottom line is the Gemara in source number eight tells us that when the Kohanim would want to count to know who's going to bring which korbanos, who's going to help in the Mishkan, so they wouldn't count them, they would stick out their fingers and they would count them by their fingers. They wouldn't count the person. And why is that? And the Gemara itself says, because you're not allowed to count people. 
Asr the Amr of Yitzchak in the second line, Asr Limnos Es Yisrael Afilu Devar Mitzvah. You cannot count the Jewish people even to do a mitzvah. You're not allowed to. Okay, and, and they quote the story of David and the story of the story in Shaul, where David Shaul counted sheep instead of counting people. Again, because it's usher to count people. If you look at source number nine, there's a Magen Avram. The Magen Avram is a, a commentary on the side of the Shulchan Aruch. And after is the, the halachas of going to shul, so after the halachas of going to shul, he has a whole very long piece. He's usually like small comments on the side of the Shulchan Aruch, but he has this long paragraph. He talks about all these halachas about going to work. They're not found in the Shulchan Aruch, but he quotes them. And one of them, he quotes, this is not about going to work per se, but about like daily life. He writes, Asur limnot Yisrael, you're not allowed to count Jewish people, right? Even if you don't have intent, you're not intending really to count them just to, you know, make a lottery or even to do a mitzvah, like to count for a minion. Rather, what do you do? You stick your fingers out and let people count their fingers. You don't count. Their, maybe that's why uh, Israelis, they don't raise their hands. They raise... They raise fingers in Israel. I don't know why, but but that. But by the way, and there are some of there's some achronim who quote. That's why when you count for a minion, what do you say? Hoshia es amecha uvarech es nachas. What those words mean? Hoshia, save our nation. Right? You give a bracha to Am Yisrael when you count people and you count them by the. It's a it's a hoshia samecha is a is a pasuk that has ten words in it, right? And that's how you know if you have a minion. And, the, 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 and the, the idea of doing that is for the same exact reason. Because you're, even the Devar Mitzvah, you're not supposed to count Jews. Fine. Wait, is that in like, the Sefer HaKinach? Is that like an actual Mitzvah Lotaseh? So I don't think so. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's a, a, a Lotaseh. You don't find it. It's not quoted in Shachanarach anywhere. But, um, but, uh, but the Gemara says it's, it's, you're not supposed to do that. So is that, is that based on this? You know, is it, you know, but it may not be an actual uh, Lotaseh, but it's certainly something you shouldn't do. It's certainly something you shouldn't do. Okay, I'm sorry, one more question. Yeah. Hashem loves to count his people. Yes, sometimes he does. Right. But that's God. When God wants to count his people, God, God, God gets to choose. Hashem, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's right. Just, right. I don't get it. He loves to count his... Like he, doesn't he love to count us? Uh, you're saying no. I'm not. You're right. The Medrash says in Savior by Midbar that Hashem like, counts us to, to show his chiba, how much he loves us, and, and he wants to count us like, like a person counts their money. So Hashem counts us. Yes, that's true. But, but why does Hashem count us? To make us each feel valued uh, and important okay. and special. Okay. I don't, I don't know. know. David was protecting our nation. But why was he, he counting? But why was he counting? But he wasn't counting for a war. But how do we know? It wasn't in He wasn't. We know he wasn't counting know. for a war. It was just to know. It was one to know but for. he needs to know. He had to protect us. He kept like... Uh, he was shown to assume everybody. that if he was counting for war, right. at least around balances, that if he was counting because they had to go to battle, then it would be okay. It would have been okay. Yeah. I guess I don't quite agree. <laughs> I hear you. Okay, good. Good. Then we're doing something good. Take a look. I got a couple more things to show you. Look at Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch writes as follows. Rav Hirsch focuses a little bit on the, on the chazi shekel. The chazi shekel, which I think, I think that there's a real... There's a real genius in the Chatsi Shekel, and there's a real genius, we're going to see also, in the counting piece. He's so, he's so pervasive. Rabbi Hirsch? Yeah. You yes. Know, if you think about it, how, what an impact he had. He had, yeah. Absolutely. One person. He's always... He's, he's he's well, I just quote him every week, so that's probably why. But yeah. <laughs> Says Rabbi Hirsch. However, the contribution required of each individual is symbolized by the machatzita shekel, one half shekel. Viewed objectively, not even the most complete and perfect contribution of any one individual can accomplish the whole of the work that must be done. Right? No person 
can do anything themselves. The work of any, of any individual is always but a fragment. An equally devoted effort on the part of his brother is required in order to produce the whole. No individual is asked to accomplish the entire task. Lo alacha hamlacha. Like more, the, the, the mission says in Pikir Abbas. He is asked to make his personal contribution to the whole weighed by the standard of the sanctuary. What's the point? Why does each person give a half shagel? Because no, no, no person should ever think right, that what I'm giving is enough. I did it myself. Look what I did. Right? One shekel is equivalent to 20 geira, of which the individual is expected to contribute 10. In and of itself, his contribution, I guess one shekel is 20, so a half shekel is 10 geira. Uh, in and of itself, his contribution should be, as far as he is concerned, one rounded whole, 10, a complete unit. His contribution should be as complete as he is able to make it, and he must weigh it in the scales of his conscience. No matter how small a fraction his own contribution represents in relation to the whole of the task to be accomplished, he must spare no effort, no ability, no resource in promoting the accomplishment of the whole and furthering the welfare of the community. Although lo nevertheless, his half shekel must weigh ten geira by the standard of the sanctuary. Meaning the ten is valuable. Ten is always a sense of completeness. Mm-hmm. So you give ten, which is completeness in terms of what you give, but it's never enough because it's only half a shekel. So the value of the, the, the idea of giving half a shekel, which I think we've heard this idea before, right? Is that giving the half is to show always that what I give on my own is never enough. I can't do nothing and let everyone else take care of it. We all have to give, but we have to recognize that everything we give is still only going to be a fraction. Right, a fraction of what others are going to, of what, of what the whole group really needs. And Rabbi Soloveitchik says something interesting here also. This is a, take you through the, you know, modern commentators of the Torah. So the Rav says like this. Uh, the Rav just like makes, I just an interesting point. He says this. What do we say? We say that the, Ha'ashir lo yabeh v'adal Right, everyone has to give exactly the same. Okay? There's a, but there's a rule in halacha. Right? Let's say, the, the rule is, I'm not allowed to ever give, spend more than a fifth of your net worth on a mitzvah, on a, pot, on a mitzvah say. Lo say, you have to give up all your money not to do a lo say. But, you, but to do a mitzvah say, you don't have to give up more than 20% of your net worth. So for example, if you only uh, have $100 to your name, and an esrog, the cheapest esrog, costs 50, 50 bucks, you are a putter from picking blue from esrog. We don't expect a person to give up more than 20% of their net worth to do a mitzvah. But the Pasuk says, by hadal lo yamit, right? that the poor cannot give less. So why is that? So look what he says. There's a general rule that no mitzvah requires one to expend more than a fifth of his assets to fulfill it. So for example, if the lulav gives were to cost more than one fifth of a person's assets, you'd be exempt. The mitzvah of giving this half shekel ever is an exception. Maimonides states that a person must literally sell a shirt off his back to fulfill it. The reason is found later in the same verse. The half shekel performed an atonement for the soul. Without it, the atonement would not take place. And for matters of the soul, there is no monetary limitation. Fascinating, right? The Gemara in Yuma relates the famous story of Hillel, who earned a half dinar a day, yet paid a quarter dinar daily to gain entry to the base of Medrash. Why did Hillel give half of his salary to study Torah when his obligation was only one-tenth of a dinar? The Chavetz Chaim indicates that the study of Torah is yet another exception to the 20% expense limitation. Since Torah is your life, the study of Torah brings life to the soul, and therefore, similar to the half shekel, there's no monetary limitation to the expenditure of the study of Torah. So I thought, I just thought it was interesting, right? That the kofar show, since it has that ability, you have to give even more than usual. But to end off, I want to show you two last pieces. 
And these are ideas, one from Rav Saretskin, who we've seen, I guess, now a lot lately, in the Zanam the Torah, and then an idea which is very similar from Rav Sachs, which is maybe one of my, it is for sure one of my favorite, maybe my favorite ideas from Rav Sachs. So Rav Saretskin says the following, and he writes the following. Limnos es Yisrael, and I think we can relate to this a lot more right now. Limnos es Yisrael, to count the Jewish people, you can't count the Jewish people in a normal way. You can't count the Jewish people with regular numbers or with normal math. Meaning like their value or what they give or what, they, what, they, what, they, what they're able to do. Kilafi bonot hapshutim, according to the regular calculations, in komakom lekiyumenu ka'am. It makes no sense that we last as a nation. We are like one sheep among 70 wolves. Again, if Sarotskin is a, a survivor of the Holocaust, right? We're the smallest of the nations. It makes no sense that we can fulfill our, you know, our, our job, our destiny, our destiny, right? To fix the world, right? Through the kingdom of Hashem. Only if you, if you calculate our value, right? In our emuna. Our our eret, which can never be destroyed. ha'or with the with the six with the um, the um, what, do you, what do you call it the success. not success the victory, victory. of light right that defeats darkness and and and, and lies nim oz right? That's what gives tremendous power and strength to our nation. And how do we do that? By people who have literally given their lives, right, to Hashem. Right, those people who are willing to give up their lives. Right, so he takes language of kofar nafshal. Mm-hmm. Right, he takes it for, for what it really is. Right, right. If you do that, then our cheshbon is very different. Right, if you count the people who gave up their lives, right, if you count the type of people that we are, then it's totally different. You can talk about the numbers, but don't. But the the, the weight of each number is very different. Beautiful, right? Right, and our our count is the greatest when it comes to value of every, every other country in the world. It's a very beautiful, uh, so beautiful. Uh, really beautiful, uh, beautiful idea. Okay, so maybe I didn't understand that because to me this sounded like a case for martyrdom. So It is a case for martyrdom. Okay. But wait, it's, not, it's, not, it, it's not only a case for martyrdom. It's not just martyrdom. His point is that you can't count, the, you can't count us, right, like you count other nations. Right? Mm-hmm. You can, our number, right. our number our is very small, is. but our value is very high. Yeah. And why, how is our value so high? Because we have people who are so uh, committed to the values of the nation that they will even at times give up their life for it. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a certain, there's a, there's a value there right, that, we, that, we, that we carry with us that others don't carry. And that's why to count us, our number, our number is meaningless. Our number is meaningless. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't ask us what our number is. Ask us what our what our value is, not, quali- not quantitative, but qualitative. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can't count a Jew. 
right? To count a Jew like one, two, three is to not understand what our value really is. In which case, again, I'm not saying that's why 70,000 people die when David Melch does it, but you can understand the, the concern with counting. One, two, just be a number. You're not just a number, right? You have so much more value than that. Does that imply that when you're counting before the war, then it's really not about the numbers and, okay, we've got 5,000 You have to know sometimes, troops. right. No, I would think even differently so that when we now find out we lost, let's just say, you know, four, every, nine, every one it is, right. That, that it's, it's, okay, we lost one, but actually like... Every one has such value, yes, yes. Them, you know? Every one, every one has yeah. so much value, yes. Yeah. And, and, that, and this takes you directly into Rabbi Sachs. Rabbi Sachs says that, you know, takes this idea even a little bit further, and he writes as follows. He says, there's a tantalizing mystery here. Why is it dangerous to count Jews? The commentators offer many suggestions, and, he, and then he gives his idea. His answer is the following. If only by way of Midrash, with no suggestion, this is the plain sense of the verse. Right? He, he, he's honest. This isn't, what, this isn't the, what the text really means. There's another possibility. Why do nations normally take a census of their population to establish their strength militarily or simply demographic the assumption beneath every census is there is strength in numbers. The more numerous a people, the stronger it is. That is why it is dangerous to count Jews. We are a tiny people. The late Milton Himmelfar once wrote that the total population of Jews throughout the world is smaller than a small statistical error in the Chinese census. We are, <laughs> we are a fifth of a percent of the population of the world. By any normal standards, too small to be significant. Nor is this true only now. It was then. In one of his concluding addresses in Deuteronomy, Moshe says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you are the fewest of all peoples. Right? It was even true then. The danger in counting Jews is that if we believed even for a moment that there was strength in numbers, the Jewish people would long ago have given way to despair. How then do you estimate the strength of the Jewish people? To this, the Torah gives an answer of surpassing beauty. Ask Jews to give and then count their contributions. Literally. Right? Numerically, we are small, but in terms of our contributions to civilization and humankind, we are vast. Think only of the makers of modern thought in physics, Einstein, in philosophy, Wittgenstein, all that is. In sociology, Durkheim, in anthropology, Levi Strauss, in psychiatry, Freud, in economics, a whole string of great thinkers from David Ricardo to Milton Friedman to Alan Greenspan to Joe Stiglitz. In literature, there were writers from Proust to Kafka to Agnon to Isaac Bashev Singer. In music, classical composers like Mahler and Schoenberg, popular composers like Irving Berlin and George Gershwin, as well as some of the world's greatest soloists and conductors. Jews have won 48 Nobel Prizes in medicine. They have made an outstanding contribution to law. And all of this without mentioning the Jewish contribution to industry, finance, academic life, the media, and politics. But it is, of course, the Jewish contribution to the life of the spirit. That is not only unique, but it shaped the entire course of Western civilization. Somehow this tiny people produced an unceasing flow of patriarchs, priests, poets, and prophets, masters of halacha and agada, codifiers and commentators, philosophers and mystics, sages and saints in a way that almost defies comprehension. It was not once that the Jewish ma- imagination caught fire, but in century after century, sometimes under the worst pers- persecution known to any nation on earth. Time and again, in the wake of tragedy, the Jewish people renewed itself in a burst of creativity. The destruction of the first temple gave rise to systematic Torah study in Babylon. That's the Talmud Bavli. The destruction of the second precipitated the great liter- greatest literature of the oral tradition. Medrash, Mishnah, and Gemara. Encounters with Karaites and later Christians produced the great Torah commentaries. Ch- that's Rabbi Hirsch. <laughs> right. The challenge of Islamic neo Platonism and Neo-Aristotelianism provoked one of the greatest ages of Jewish philosophy. If you want to know the strength of the Jewish people, ask them to give and then count the contributions. 
That is the majestic idea of the opening of this week's Sedra. She talks afterwards about a, a story in, in, in Navi about Gidon. And that Gidon is asked to bring a certain number of troops. And Hashem says, it's too many. Hashem says, you have too many. And he makes him send some home. And then they win anyways. And what's the point? Right? Look at the last paragraph. Clearly this is not just a story about war. The Tanakh is a religious text, not a military one. What God was saying to Gidon, what tacitly he had been saying to us and our ancestors for 40 centuries, is that to win the Jewish battle, the battle of the spirit, the victory of the heart, mind, and soul, you do not need numbers. You need dedication, commitment, study, prayer, vision, courage, ideals, hope. You need a people who are instinctively inclined to give, to contribute. Give, then count the contributions. The finest way ever devised to measure the strength of a people. So beautiful. It's like amazing. I think it is like, this is like Rabbi Sachs at his, you know. And because it, 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 it fits perfectly. Right? Like, that's the idea. Why not count us? Make them give something. It's like, with our, you know, not Lahavdil, with our children. But then right? what? You want a kid to, right? You ask a child to do it. Why, am I asking you, why are you asking me to do it? Because I want you to learn how to do it yourself, right? Like, I don't know anyone else, no one else's kids say, my shoes are in my room. Can you get them for me? And I said, no, you can get them yourself. <laughs> why not? I can get them. Because I don't want it. Because I want you to learn, right? I want you to give a kid tzedakah to put it in the pushka himself. Why? Because you want him to learn how to do that, right? There's, the, the value in learning, teaching people to give is to, keep them, to teach them how to live. Right? That's life. Giving is living. And like that is, that's how people feel, feel. And that's the challenge in the world right now, to be honest. A world that's all about me, totally, right? The, the value of teaching people to give right, is to literally teach them how to feel better about themselves in life. It's, it's true in psychology. Right? That you teach people who are feeling depressed, you teach them how to contribute to something mm-hmm. and it actually makes them feel better. Right? Because that's, that's actually what gives a person chiyas. It gives you life to feel that you've given to something. So you want to know the, the ultimate value of kihem chayim yavarich yameinu? What does it mean that a Torah people to people who know how to give? And therefore, the ultimate way to count them is only to count their contributions, which I think is a very beautiful thing, which is absolutely, totally relevant mm-hmm. to where we are right now. We are people now who are giving. We're giving our lives, we're giving our children, we're giving our our money, we're giving our, our time, we're flying to Israel, we're coming from Israel, we're going, everyone's just giving. The whole, the, whole, mm-hmm. the whole nation is just giving to each other and it creates a sense, obviously horrible what's going on, but it's creating a sense of what it means to be a Jew. And Am Yisrael is finding out what it means to be Am Yisrael because why? Our whole, our whole being right now is to give. And when that happens, then we, we are who we are at our greatest. You know? And I think that's something we see now and I think it's something we need to... Keep with us. Did you pick avocados and? and- <laughs> <laughs>